sisters in Christ, my name is John Elmore. I love being with you here on Sundays. It's such a joy. If you've never sat close to the front, some Sunday you need to, because you hear these thousands of voices proclaiming the glory of Christ behind you. And it is amazing in what it stirs your affections for the Lord. Also, I just looked down and Timothy Atik and his wife Kat are right here in the front. Let's give them all another welcome. The, the last time they were here, uh, he was just here and, and then back. And they were here for Christmas, but now they're here, here. Uh, they live just blocks from our house. And so we're so thrilled that you all would be here. It, it brings me such joy to look down and see you all. Um, you got these boxes. I'm a visual learner. So maybe you saw them during the worship set. You're like, oh, they went kind of cheap on the decorations this Sunday. That's, that's like really minimalist. And uh, are we moving? What are we doing? Uh, boxes fill our garage. We've got boxes in there. And some of them have like, you know, they're the clothes ready to be dropped off at Goodwill. Others are like really special memories. Like I've got probably like my seminary diploma lost in one of them. And then others are like, you know, Halloween candy from three years ago that we probably need to like throw out. So some have incredibly insignificant. They're, they're borderline worthless and we need to get rid of them. Uh, they're of no value and are just taking up space. And then others are incredibly valuable. They're there and they have like, it, like if there was a fire, they are one of the boxes I would go for because they have such importance in me, Laura, and the kids' lives. And I'm telling you that because this box here today will be the most important box you will ever encounter in your entire life. This box and what it represents and what we're going to talk about today will have the singular greatest impact on your life, your relationships, your work, your every day, every hour that passes, and your eternity, heaven or hell, forevermore because of this box. And so this box and what it represents is our loaded question. As we continue this series, Loaded Questions, the questions that Jesus put forth to people, his apostles, that they would wrestle with, that they would encounter the Lord and have to answer questions about Jesus, the one that we are addressing today, this loaded question that has great personal import and impact upon your life, is Jesus' question that he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And it's the question that we are going to ask ourselves today, right here. Who do you say? Not the disciples anymore, but you, today, January 9th of 2022, who do you say Jesus is? And all of your eternity will pivot upon the answer to this question. All of your present life will pivot upon the answer to this question, and I can't wait for us to walk through it. And so today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 28. It's a, it's a broad section of scripture here as Christ engages with the disciples. And here's where we're going to go if, you're, uh, if you think in a linear fashion and you want to take notes. The progression of the loaded question. Here it is. That there is a confession. And following the confession, depending on the answer, will lead to the church. And then the church will lead you to the cross. The confession, the church, and the cross. So, point one, the confession. Confession is a Greek word. It's a construct of two, 
Homo legeo, homo meaning same, legeo meaning to speak or say. So you're saying the same thing. You're speaking what is. It's a colloquial of like calling a spade a spade, like that is what it is. And not only do I acknowledge it with mental assent, but I will speak it as though I believe it, not as though I believe it, that I do believe it. I am testifying to this, that is confession. Now there's one of the most amazing promises of scripture that I like cling to is James 5.16 where it says confess, confess your sins to one another reciprocally and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We confess to each other, we pray to each other of our sins and then God rains down healings. It's one of the most beautiful promises of scripture. that We confess and pray, he heals. That one heals, that confession brings about healing. This confession that we're talking about today, this homo legeo confession doesn't bring about healing, it brings about salvation. Based on this confession of Jesus, it raises the dead, makes you new, gives you life, adopts you into the family of Christ. This confession, the most powerful confession that a human being could ever speak. Matthew 16, 13 through 15. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And it makes sense, right? Like Jesus has been on the scene for a little while now. His public ministry has happened. And so you've got, okay, some think you're John the Baptist. Well, why would, why would that be? Well, John the Baptist was talking a lot about the condition of the human heart. He was talking about sin and repentance. And so you have Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, um, and sharing things like if your hand leads you to sin, cut it off. There's, a, there's, there's, you know, if you've looked lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart, there's message about sin and repentance. So they're like, like I know John the Baptist got beheaded, but this guy sounds a lot like John. Or maybe Elijah. It's like, well, why Elijah? Dude, Elijah, God did some freak show stuff through Elijah. Like crazy miracles. And so as they're witnessing Jesus' miracles, they're like, Dude, I think Elijah might be back on the scene because the stuff that we read back here, the stuff in the Hebrew scrolls, this is starting to sound a lot like this as, as he's like raising the dead for the widow at Nain and, and multiplying the bread and water to wine and oh my goodness, we might have Elijah on our hands or maybe it's Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Why would that be? Because he is speaking as one with authority. Like these are not scribes and pharisaical words that are like, okay, because of Rabbi so-and-so, this is what my authority is based on. This man's just speaking words we've never heard that sound like they're coming from the voice of God. I think we have a prophet on our hands. But Jesus isn't satisfied with that. He says in the verse following, verse 15, which is our loaded question. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? I don't care what others say about me. And so it is church, like beyond the walls of the church, beyond uh, in, in the minds of unbelievers, it, it matters not as much what they say about Christ, it matters what you say about Jesus. Who do you say that I am? And we have our loaded question. And Peter responds in verse 16, you are the Christ, the son of living God, 
Peter responds and says, you are the Christ, the Christos, the anointed one, the Hebrew word, the Messiah. You're the one who was foretold. All the prophecies would have their fulfillment in you. We know you're not John the Baptist, Elijah, or one of the prophets. You are the son of the living God, the Christ that was promised, who has been given to us. But in this, in all the hundreds of prophecies that would point to Christ, there is what's called a definite article that makes an eternal difference. You see, as Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. That's a definite article, meaning there is one. You are the one. You're not many paths up the mountain. Not all roads lead to God. You are the the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through the Son. That definite article makes a definite difference in eternity to say that Jesus is the only way. You are the Christ, and there is no other. You are the Son of the living God, and there is no other. There is one living God, and there is no other. And so a question for every single soul to wrestle with is do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and there is no other? That every other prophet of every other religion or cult is a heretic, false dead religion, but the Christ alone. Do you believe that? Do you confess it? The loaded question for you is, who do you say that Jesus is? This has long been called the trilemma, not a dilemma, a wrestle between a right or wrong, but try. There are three parts to this. As you wrestle with Jesus, are you the Christ? And it's been made famous by C.S. Lewis, as he said, we can either take him as liar, lunatic, or Lord. But really, uh, this, this guy named Kyle Barton, I just read his blog, it's amazing. He takes a historical view of the trilemma, going all the way back to John, to Sir Thomas More to uh, Gaius Victorinus, like all through the centuries, theologians have looked upon Jesus and been like, you can't have it both ways. You can't say he's a good teacher, but not God in flesh. You just can't. Like that's intellectual, uh, it, it's, it's, you can't do it. They're incongruent to say the two. And so we have to wrestle with, is he liar, lunatic, or Lord? You can choose one. Even atheist Scholars, atheist historians would say you cannot deny the historicity that Jesus walked this earth and was crucified on a cross. There is more validity to that than any other historical figure, even going back 150 years. Not even atheist scholars would deny that. And so here I want to read from C.S. Lewis, The Trilemma. It's from Mere Christianity. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher. We've all heard this, right? Like, well, I love his teachings. But I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he has a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. 
You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. You can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. As we talk about confession, and that it's for us to speak the same, I wanna just give you uh, a little bit of a biblical theology of confession and the importance of it, that it's not just a, a mental assent or a private belief. Romans 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, your spirit, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me stop for a second. If you deny the resurrection, if you're like, well, I believe that he was, he professed to be the son of God, he had good teachings, I believe that he died on the cross, and you don't believe the resurrection, then you are not saved. Because what you're saying is he was just a man. He's just a, a moral teacher. You must believe in the resurrection. 1 Timothy 6, fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of eternal life to which you were called, listen, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, that he was a king of a kingdom, that he could deploy angels that any power that Pilate had was given to him by Jesus. Philippians 2, and every tongue confess, we just sung this, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. 1 John 4, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Every creed, Every catechism, every confession that we have from all the generations of the church, going all the way back to the early church, has in it a confession that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. It is of such great importance, the linchpin of our faith. And so I thought this morning that all of us, if we have trusted in Jesus, in the presence of many witnesses, could confess the very words that Peter spoke 2,000 years ago as Jesus asked him that loaded question. I'm gonna have Peter's words on the screen for you. And look, an atheist <clears throat> can say these words and it will mean nothing. Don't say this out of religious routine. Don't say it because I'm asking you. Say it if you know it to be true. Believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You can today testify in the presence of many witnesses the very words to this loaded question. So I'm gonna say, if you have trusted in Jesus, who is Jesus? And then you can repeat the words that are on the screen. I'll begin. Church, if you have trusted in Jesus, who do you say that Jesus is? Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That was Peter's answer. 2,000 years ago at Caesarea Philippi. And, and, and there in Caesarea Philippi, surrounded by 14 temples to Pan and Baal and even the Caesar who they worshiped. And those words now reverberating through the generations today by you. 
Now, Jesus will respond to Peter and say, you know, this isn't because you're uh, really sharp and that you've figured this out, you cracked the code, but rather he says, this is because of divine revelation. Matthew 16, 17. And Jesus said to him, Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Simon son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. God delights to reveal the glory of Christ to people that he would adopt, elect, predestine, to bring into his family. And here we have in 2 Corinthians 4, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts the light into our dark hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we see the glory of God. John 6, 44, no man can come to me unless the Father who sent me, who sent Jesus, draws him. And so I share that because as we just confessed that about Jesus, we can think like, well, kind of like the, the tax collector and the Pharisee. And as the Pharisee would point to him and say, thank God I'm not like that man. And the tax collector who, who beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That we would not be like the Pharisee and be like, well, <laughs> thank, thankfully I can confess Jesus is Christ. That he's the son of the living God. And it's like, well, that should result in praise, not in pride, but in praise because God has seen fit to reveal the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to you to save you, not of flesh and blood, but because God loves you and ransomed you through Jesus. So it should result in praise. But the other thing it should result in is prayer. I pray every night with my children for someone that I know has not trusted in Jesus every night because I'm just asking and pleading with God that he would reveal himself to this person, that they would be saved. It results in praise and it results in prayer because God is so ordained that he moves according to the prayers of his people. And so we get to petition heaven that God would reveal himself to those that we know more and more and more. I was sharing with my waiter last night about Jesus. Give him my number, and maybe, who knows, he'll come. So your confession, your confession results to the church. The confession leads to the church. There is um, a direct correlation to you making that confession because Jesus goes on to say, Matthew 16, 18 and 19, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. It's important here, he says, you are Peter, the Greek word is Petros, and then he says, and on this rock, Petra. They're two different words. There's been a lot of confusion about this um, because of some of the language and people saying, well, um, on this rock, did you mean Peter? Because you called him that. Pe Petros was little stone rock that Jesus used, Petra. There's a archeological place you can go called Petra. It's a massive um, thing that has been cut from one stone. So he's saying, you are little stone, but on this huge stone, on this huge stone, I will build my church. It's the first mention of church there throughout uh, the Bible, ecclesia, called out ones, an assembly. And he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. They're standing there um, to the, the, the false god of Pan, where they would throw sacrifices into the water. There was a, a cave with a spring that would come out of it. They would throw sacrifices into it. They thought it was a gateway to Hades, 
to the realm of the dead, to the underworld. And he's saying to them right there with that very visual image, the gates of hell will not prevail against this. Death will not prevail against my church, my called out ones. Death will not prevail against them. The principalities, authorities, and realm of darkness of Ephesians 6 will not prevail against my church. And he says, I, first person singular, will with certainty build my church, Jesus. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Saying like, where two or three or more are gathered, I am there with you. He is the head, we are the body. It's all connected all for the glory of Christ. He says, on this rock, the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, Jesus says, on that confession and on this person, this Petra, this huge building stone cornerstone, I will build my church on that confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. In Ephesians 2, this is like, I love this about scripture, like there's just, uh, this is important that you interpret scripture with scripture. So we're gonna see in Ephesians 2 and 1 Peter 2, this uh, connectivity, it's all the same. He says, I will build my church. Ephesians chapter two says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. And so we have the apostles, and prophets that are built as a foundation with the cornerstone, the cornerstone being the anchor, the dedication, the reason for existence. And then you have the apostles and prophets, the apostolic teachings that are all pointing, this is how you know Christ, this is how you live in Christ, and then all of the prophets, over a hundred prophecies that would all point to the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that was coming. And so here we have the foundation and all their teachings. But Ephesians 2.22, it continues. It's not just that. This is amazing. It says, in him you also, you, you church also, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. First Peter 2, five and six, it says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. See what God's doing here with this imagery. There was a temple that existed there, Mount Zion, in Jerusalem, huge stones, a temple where God dwelled. And now he's saying, there was a physical temple, now I'm building a spiritual temple, the church universal, and you are a part of it. Your living stones being built together as a spiritual house to be holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, that whoever believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. And so this is an amazing thing. You have Augustine, early church father, profound theology, who was a pagan before, but now he has been placed as a living stone into the body of Christ, into the church. And you've got Luther, Martin Luther, who God used to spark the great reformation to return the scriptures to the people in the solos of by, by grace, through faith alone, and Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. You've got Luther that's been built in there. You've got uh, John Bunyan, 
And I purposefully chose that uh, nod to Blake Holmes. It's his second favorite book in the whole world. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And if you haven't read it, like read it. My, my wife, Laura, got a kid's version of it. It's this amazing journey of the Christian faith uh, that just draws you in. It's so powerful. But he there is a part of it. But, but not just if you're like, okay, I get it. Like famous people are a part of it. Grace is a part of it. Like, wait, grace like mercy grace? No, grace, grace, my grandma grace. Grace Kernut, Springfield, Missouri. You've never heard of her, you probably never will aside from today. But this faithful woman who was a widow for almost 50 years, as her husband died, attended the same church for 50 years or longer. And grace, they're built into the body of Christ, church universal forever. And there is you, if you have made that confession, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You now are a part of this universal church, living stones built that can, Jesus says, now you can see it like with this imagery when he says, no one can snatch you out of my hands. Like, do you think God would ever allow some thieves to be like, I'm gonna take this one. No, when you are placed into the body of Christ, Sealed, it says. Architecturally, spiritually sealed into the body of Christ. But you know who else is a part of this body? Because I'm not building a watermark body of Christ. I'm, I'm just not. You, you, that, that 4B, that's if you want to be shepherded here. But the body of Christ, of which he is the head. You know who else is a part of this? And I, and I could have more blocks, but they'd be taller than me. But, but Shoreline is a part of this. Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship is a part of this. The Korean Baptist Fellowship on West Shore in Richardson, Texas is a part of this. Gateway is a part of this. Park City's Baptist is a part of this. Highland Park Presbyterian Church is a part of this. And you might say like, well, I don't know. I don't know, I don't, I don't know if I agree with all the things that, that they would say. You know, this is, this is my church. No, it's Christ's church. And I would say that in my family and my home, my wife and me and the kids, we don't always agree on everything. We just don't. What do you want to go out to eat? What do you think about this? How, is, how did that happen? We don't agree on everything, but we are family. Forever family because of Jesus. And when we be mindful because it's unto his glory. The church, the called out ones. Cyprian of Carthage, early church father, later affirmed by John Calvin, he said, no one can have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. Meaning, there's no me and Jesus spirituality. Like, I'm gonna trust in Jesus. I did it at summer camp, and now I just kinda, I live out my own, I'm spiritual but not religious. And so, man, I don't wanna put my constraints under the church and all that. Like, I just kinda go through life. And church fathers, again by Calvin, and again by the scriptures, would say, no, we are to be under the authority the servanthood authority of elders of a local body, you can't say you have God and not have the church as your mother. You can't be like, no, it's, it's, it's me and Jesus. I'm good, we're just over here. To be of Jesus is to be a part of the living house on the cornerstone, grafted in a part of the body. You can't be separate from the body. You are a part of the church. How timely now for that 4B. It's to say, I'm, I'm a part of a local church. It's where I want to be shepherded. It's where I'll use my gifts. It's where I'll worship the Lord. That's a good thing. It's a blessing and unto the Lord. 
Your confession leads to the church. It's what we've talked about. The confession that you make of Jesus leads to the church, but the other thing that it leads to is the cross. The cross. Right after Jesus says, the gates of hell won't prevail, he shares this, Matthew 16, 20 through 27, or maybe 21. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Well, that sounds like counterproductive, right? Like, wait, don't you want everyone to know that you're the Christ? Aren't we gonna make the disciples of all nations, great commission? What are you doing here? He knew that if they shared that he was the Christ, that they would make him king. They would forcibly put him into authority and he did not come to be placed on a throne but to lay his life down in the first advent for the forgiveness of sins. But then he will come again and he will reign on a throne a thousand years and forevermore. So he says, don't tell anyone that I'm the Christ because from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must, not that he might, not that he could, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. And Peter takes him aside. Like, Peter is a man of action. Mark, who he received the gospel from, you can see this, very quick action in it, but, but Peter takes him aside when he hears that. He's like, no, no. It says he began to rebuke him. You've got G- Peter rebuking Jesus. Oh, man. He's just answered he's the Christ. He's like, good job. He's feeling confident. He says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. He just, I mean, Isaiah 53, that says the Christ will be killed for our sins. He's like, may it never be. Far be it from you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. It's why I came. And in fact, if I don't, there's no way that anyone will ever go to the Father because his judgment will still be upon you. This advent was for redemption, and the next one would be for restoration. And so this is the gospel here. He's saying, I have come to suffer on your behalf, be killed on your behalf, and I will be raised, proving that I'm not just some moral teacher or prophet, John the Baptist or Elijah, I'm God in flesh, and I lay down my life and I take it up also. That whoever believes in me will not perish but have life everlasting. And it's so important because Jesus placed himself under the wrath of God upon that cross, received the wrath of God, the punishment that was due to us, so that the wrath would pass over us and that we would receive life as he received death and that he was raised again so we would be raised again from dead in our sins to alive in Christ, these living stones. That's the good news. But God's judgment no longer upon us. It says, for it is appointed for every man to die once and then face judgment unless you've placed your faith in Jesus and then you are his son. It says in Matthew 16, 24 and following, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, because he said, I'm going to the cross, and now to those who have confessed that are part of the church, he says, you are too. You are too. The confession, the church, and the cross. So here's our cross. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Greek word, aperneomai, to forget oneself, to lose sight of oneself, to think like, 
It's not about me anymore. It is about Christ Jesus, my cornerstone. I live for him. I have denied myself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man? What does a man gain if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what would a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he or she has done. Richard Baxter, 1600s Puritan preacher, says, what is a candle made for except to be burned? What is a candle made for except to be burned? What is a stone made for except to be made alive and placed into this temple, this church unto God? It's why we exist. Every soul, every eight billion walking this earth, they have been made in the image of God that they might know God and be reconciled to him. It's why we exist is to become reconciled to God and bring glory to him. What is a candle for except to be burned? What is our life for except to be lived for God? So to be dead to sin but alive to Christ. And this denial of yourself, this isn't like a Buddhist thing where we're all gonna wear the same clothes and we can't enjoy the pleasures of life and we're gonna minimize all of that that we might one time reach nirvana. Like, that's not what this is about when it says deny yourself. God gave us taste buds that we might taste all the incredible things in this world. Like, he gave us personhood and all the unique personalities and distinctions and differences, and it glorifies him. So when he says deny yourself, it's not this uh, redaction or removal of your personhood and your personality. He doesn't want these like drone followers. He's, in fact, it's the opposite. He was like, everything I made you to be. I, I mean, I looked over and saw J.D. Rogers over there, like such a creative dude, and Bryce. I'm like, all their creativity in the world, in the flesh, it's diminished, it's snuffed out, it's broken, it's fractured, it's, it's, it's pagan and fleshly. And he's like, you plug into me, boom, like just come alive in your gifting and your creativity that, that not that you would be glorified, that Christ would be glorified. And so it's this explosion of personhood as you deny yourself, not a loss to yourself, but that you would live like that which you were created for, for the glory of God, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in The Cost of Discipleship, emphasis on cost. He says when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. So Jesus went to the cross and then says, if you would follow me, deny yourself. Luke would say daily. Take up your cross and follow me. Come and die. Lay down your life just as I did. And in losing it, you'll find it. And then it says he'll repay each person according to what he has done. You know, our, uh, our oldest, Laura, got these like classical books because he was reading just like garbage that he would bring home from the library. Just like mental bubble gum. And so Laura got him this like classic list. She's like, hey, you read three, three, bo three books and I'm gonna take you and a friend out for a little treat. Dude, the, the, voracious reader now. Now he's like, do I have to go to bed now? Can I read 30 more minutes? Because he knows that there is a repayment coming. And we would be wise to not live for the trifles of this life, but rather knowing he said he's coming back with his angels and the glory of the Father, and he will repay each to what he has done. That we would live our lives for him and not for us in these fleeting 
just temporary trifles. And so I've got three more stones that I want to pull up. These three more stones, they would, they would, they would represent us. Like here's another one that could be built into the temple, right? This would just represent you. But it starts to have this flavor. Covered in glitter. And doesn't it look ridiculous? You're like, Christ the cornerstone, why, why is that one kind of like, want to be checked out? Like all the attention being drawn to that one, that, that seems kind of ridiculous. This is what I would call measures, the pride of life, measuring yourself up against one another. And we've all got flavors of each one of these three blocks I'm gonna put up. Like nobody's like, oh yeah, that's my neighbor. Oh, that's my wife. Oh, that's my roommate. Oh <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, no, we all have flavors of this. And instead, that that would be directed up like all glory to God. That's measures. The next one is pleasures. That we wouldn't live our life. We've now been adopted into the body of Christ. We, we were made into this living temple, church universal. And so what business would there be any defilements in the temple of porn or whatever indulgence you gave yourself over to that you're just given to? And we all have them, whether it's bluebell or booze. That was a Z. I said Z, booze. And it's, it's all there. Or <laughs> pornography. I'm like, don't send me an email. I said alcohol is what I meant. But the other one is there too, triple X. It's like the lust of the flesh that we're craving towards. And it's so ridiculous. It's like that has no place in the temple of God of which his spirit dwells. The pleasures, the measures, the treasures, the treasures. Man, that's Dallas's. That's Dallas's go-to. I, I got to Dallas and I was like, dude, the BMW 3 Series is the same as like the Honda Accord in Missouri where I grew up. I'm like, <laughs> it was the, back there, everybody had an Accord or a Civic. Now everybody's got a 3 or 5 Series. I'm like, what is this place? And everybody's like colossally in debt and just like chasing after all these treasures. And I'm pretty sure in 1 Timothy 6, he says, charge, command those who are rich in this present world to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and ready to share, that they might store up for them an inheritance in the kingdom that is to come, that we wouldn't live for measures, pleasures, and treasures, but rather for the glory of God. And here's the crazy thing. I had to tell you first, I was too excited to walk backwards. If you say this about Jesus, I got some stuff that he says about you. You see, you say those things about Jesus. You say, I, Jesus, I believe you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He's like, then listen, because this is what I say then to you. You're free from sin. You're free. You don't have to do it anymore. You're now part of me. And not only that, in case you're like, I just, I wanna be better. No, no, you're not gonna be better. You're gonna be new, brand new. Make sure I got that right as I'm flipping this box. <laughs> you're new in Jesus, not better, but made new. As he brings you in, not a dead stone, but a living stone. And you are adopted. Adopted into the family of God. You are forgiven of all your sins, you are justified, made right with God. He is no longer holding your sins against you. He, you're his boy or his daughter, he loves you so much and you are sealed, sealed into the church, universal forevermore and no one can snatch you out of God's hands. He loves you, 
He's ransomed you. And now that we would live all of our lives under the glory of God and not for these ridiculous things, but that we'd be like all glory to you, God, because he took you. The Father has hewn you from the quarry of sin and death, placed his Holy Spirit in you, all to the glory of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. Let me pray. Father, we love you and praise you. The, the way that you have revealed, not by flesh and blood, but by the Holy Spirit, you have drawn us to Jesus. You have saved us of no merit of our own. There's nothing we could do. It's all you. It all results in praise, glory, and honor to the Father. And may we never grasp for glory or live for the lust of the flesh or store up these trifles and treasures, but rather that we now, engrafted into the temple of the living God, now living stones, that we would live for your glory, never for our own. As it says in Psalm 115, verse one, not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to you be the glory because of your love, faithfulness, your kindness in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is the anointed one, he is our Messiah, not, not a but thee, and he is the son of the living God. So Lord, as we sing now, uh, we're not just singing to words on a screen, we are, we are praying to melody into the throne room of God Almighty. Thank you for saving us.